All right, well, we're going to jump right in because we don't have a lot of time, and I have a lot to say. <laughs> uh, I want to say welcome back to winter. <laughs> I'm really glad winter showed up again. This is our customary one week of winter that we have. Uh, and, and I love this weather, although I could do without the wind a little bit. People, I usually tell people, uh, Vicki does my hair, but today God did my hair out in the wind. <laughs> uh, so Pastor Robert, Vicki said, is having a great time in Israel. He says hello from the land of the Bible. This is his group that he's with, standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. Uh, and... There he is on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> and you can see he's having a, a great time, and God's really speaking to his heart. So I want to thank him for allowing me the opportunity to speak this morning in his place. I don't take that responsibility lightly, and I really appreciate him letting me do this. So I told you all a couple of weeks ago that I uh, one of my goals for trying to have 2020 vision, spiritual vision in 2020, was to read through the Bible again. So I have been back in the book of Genesis taking a look at creation. It's been a little over a year since I have done an in-depth study on the book of Genesis, and I had already forgotten a lot of the nuggets of truth that I found when I studied it before. So God has just been kind of reigniting my spirit with this great story so today we're going to take a look at the many life applications that can be found in the first three books of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3, and the story of creation. And those life applications, I'm going to talk about parts of the story and then probably ask questions that will show you how that it relates to our life now. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks to us and ministers to us, and so I ask that you will do what you do and speak to each person individually and personally today, and in their hearts and minds, Lord, that you would say, let there be light. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and I'm, as I study this verse, I'm kind of struck by the fact that it is a declaration and not an argument. As far as I can tell, nowhere does the Bible argue for the existence of God. The Bible simply declares that God is and that he created all things. So the dawn of God's story begins with the stunning statement that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which means that in the beginning, he was already there. He is eternal. He is also omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere and at all times. And that's really good news today because I'm so glad that he can be here with us right now while he's also with the Christians in China who are suffering severe persecution. I just read this past week that the Chinese government has declared that your individual religion no longer matters, that whether you are Buddhist or Taoist or Muslim or Christian, you are required to come under and evangelize for the communist Chinese party. But I have missionary friends that are there. I've had some, we've had some that have had to come back 
but we have some that are still there who have assured me that God's presence is alive and well and that the gospel message will not be quenched by an oppressive government. So he's everywhere at all times. On Christmas Eve, 1968, Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders, while orbiting the moon in Apollo 8, they were so aware of the presence of God with them in space that they publicly read the first 10 verses in chapter 1 of Genesis to the listening world who were thousands of miles away, who included me and my family, and I will never forget hearing that. When James B. Irwin, an astronaut on the Apollo 15, actually walked on the surface of the moon, he said that he looked out into the inky blackness and saw our planet looking like a blue marble suspended in space and was overwhelmed with the, with the realization that God was present with him right there on the surface of the moon. He is not bound by space or time. Who are you praying for that you are separated from at the moment? Maybe it's a child who's off to school. Maybe it's a loved one. We have many people in our area who have loved ones who are deployed. Maybe it's a family member who lives in another city, another state, another country. What comforting encouragement it is to know that God is not only fully present with you right now, but also with those from whom you are separated hearing and answering your prayers of faith for them. Only once in eternity has God been bound by space and time, and it was a time of his own choosing when, in the person of Jesus Christ, he came to the world as a baby with the purpose of giving his life as a sacrifice for sin. Verse 2 says that the earth was without form and void. Many lives today could be described the same way, can't they? Formless, with no shape of direction, discipline or character, void of hope or joy. Lives that are in darkness, depression or despair, separated from God, void on the inside. So how does a person whose life is empty, what's the process for them to experience meaningful changes that result in a life full of purpose and joy? Well, I think the first step for us is the same as it was for the world, and that is the preparation that happens by the Spirit of God. Verse 2 goes on to say that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that same Spirit of God hovers, hovers over all of those who are in darkness, gently drawing them into a loving, life-giving relationship with their Creator. The work of the Holy Spirit has been present and vital since the beginning of time. Now, the Hebrew word for God in Genesis is Elohim. And it occurs more than 2,000 times in the Bible. Now, Elohim is a plural noun. But in the Bible, it's used with singular verbs. I've told y'all before, math and I didn't get along, but English was my jam. So in other words, Elohim implies by its definition and usage that God is one God, yet at the same time, more than one. For example, the statement, in the beginning, of, in the beginning God, reveals one person. 
in verse 2 where it says, the Spirit of God hovers over the water, was hovering over the water, that reveals another person. And then in verse 3, when God began to speak things into existence, that reveals to us the other one who was present as the living word of God goes forth. So a dramatic example of God's plurality or trinity is found in the first few verses in the first chapter of Genesis. Now I realize that God's identity as three persons in one is really hard for our minds to comprehend. But one classic illustration that I heard years ago that helped me, and maybe it'll help you, is that of water, which retains its key elements and properties, but it can appear as liquid, steam, or ice. Three revelations, one element. While God's personhood and power do not change, he reveals himself as Father, as Son, the living word, and as Spirit. John 1.14 talks about that word, and he says, The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. The one and only Son who came from the Father is the Logos word of God through whom God created everything, and his name is Jesus. So Jesus Christ is in the first chapter of Genesis as the living word of God goes forth. And every time we read the phrase, and God said, we see Jesus going forth as that word. Paul confirmed in Colossians 1 that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You feel like you're coming apart right now? In him all things hold together. It's called laminin. If you've never heard Louis Giglio's How Great Is Our God, you need to go home and YouTube it and understand what laminin is because it's holding us together, literally holding us together, and you need to see what that looks like. So go home and YouTube that How Great Is Our God, Louis Giglio. So all three persons of the Trinity were actively involved in the creation event. And verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now commentators agree that this verse is talking about the light of his very presence and not the sun, which was created on day four. It's an expression of himself. Revelations 21 talks about this light. It says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. He is the light. And the first step from chaos to order is to bring light. This is the way that God works in our lives. Light, in the spiritual sense, represents the truth, clarity, the spiritual understanding and discernment that we receive from God's written word. Psalms 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. In what areas of your life do you need God's light to shine right now? Oftentimes, discouragement about the future or the lack of fulfillment in our lives can plunge us into a darkness. 
But God's written word and the answers that we find there can turn our darkness into light. The relationship that we have with him brings light to us. And then that light that shines in us also shines through us to the people around us. Psalms 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's so many verses in the Bible. I didn't write them all down or include them in this, but so many verses about light and about God's light. John says in, in John 1 that the light has come, that he is the living word who was in the beginning with God, who himself was God, who became flesh, and his name is Jesus. Do you know someone who is living in darkness without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and therefore is separated from God? Let me encourage you that if God could lean out of heaven and illuminate the very world with the light of his presence, illuminate that darkness, then he is able to lean into your life or the life of anybody else and illuminate the darkness there saying let there be light and once the light penetrates the darkness our understanding and vision are changed because his light chases away the darkness and brings understanding that's how we get 2020 vision for 2020 that was all day one okay on the second day of creation on the second day of creation, we're going through all seven, uh, but I'm going to talk fast because I've had some caffeine, so y'all are going to have to listen fast. <laughs> On that day, God divides the atmosphere. The, water, the waters of the land are separated from the water vapor in the sky. Now, this may have been like a huge blanket of water vapor that extended into space. This would have served as kind of a global greenhouse that kept the temperatures and the conditions uniform. There would be no significant winds, and the rain cycle couldn't form. It would also filter out ultraviolet radiation and other destructive energies, which might account for the longevity of humans in that time. A vapor blanket would also provide a reservoir for a potential worldwide flood. Day three. He gathered the waters that covered the earth into one place so that dry land could appear. He then created plant life and began to fill the areas of dry land. The plants were created not as seeds, but as full-grown plants, each bearing seeds. And God saw that it was good. God knows what is good, and he organizes his creation to result in something good. You were created for something good. Day four, that's the day that he decorated the sky with the sun, the moon, and the stars. This also established seasons. And since the beginning, man has used God's provision of the sun, moon, and stars to measure and mark time and direction. Day five, this would have been a fun day. God spoke the sea creatures and the birds of the air into existence. Think of all the variety that's there. All of the, the octopus and the platypus, I guess that's a sea creature, I don't know, but, <laughs> and the birds of the air. I mean, all of those things he spoke into existence that day. And then day six, 
this would have been the best one of all. God began by creating the animals, big and small. And it says the creepy crawlers, too. I don't get that part. Um, I will never understand roaches, spiders, and mosquitoes. <laughs> I guess they have some kind of purpose, but I don't know what it is yet. Uh, but he created them not evolving, but fully formed. Which I think pretty much answers the question, which came first? The chicken. The chicken came first. <laughs> and then for the grand finale, the pinnacle of all of his creation, God said, let us, the Trinity again displayed here, make man in our own image. An understanding of who we are begins with knowing that we are created in the image of God. And that makes us different from every other created being. Now, chapter 1 just gives us that overview of the creation of man and woman. And so in a minute, we're going to explore that a little bit further. Because as we get into chapters 2 and 3, he gives us the, the up-close view. We zoom in. But he gave them dominion and told them to be fruitful and multiply. And then in chapter 2, we see that on the seventh day, God rested. It says he rested from all of his work. He blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And when he give, gave Moses the law up on Mount Sinai, the fourth thing on that list was to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. When we're in Israel, uh, they do that to the extreme. They've added so many rules about what work is, and it's become such a, a legalistic thing that even pushing the button on an elevator is work. So they have special Shabbat elevators where all the, from sundown on Friday until Saturday evening, you have a, a special Shabbat elevator, and all of the buttons are pushed. So you get in there, you don't have to do anything, it stops at every floor. <laughs> So that you don't have to push a button. Now, apparently, walking up five flights of steps is not work. If you don't want to stop at every floor. But really, a Sabbath rest was not meant to be about your work. It's about resting in his. So chapter 1 gave us the panorama view. And now we're going to see a focused view on the pinnacle of his creation, Adam and Eve, as well as a specific place on the vast earth that he created, the garden. One day, Adam was out hunting with his boys, and they came upon the Garden of Eden that he and, where he and Le Eve had lived originally. Adam was staring at the garden, and one of his boys said, Daddy, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And Adam wiped the tear from his eyes and said, Boys, you see that over there? That is the Garden of Eden. That's where we used to live until Mama ate us out of house and home. Okay. All right, I'm sorry. It had to be said. Um, okay. So verse 7 tells us that God formed man from the dust of the ground. And I just picture God scooping up some of that ground and gently forming Adam, kind of like a potter takes a lump of clay and forms it on a wheel. Every detail of his body, inside and out, is sculpted by the Almighty. So Adam soon lies on the ground, 
every feature complete, but he's lifeless. And so God bends over and carefully and tenderly breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living being. And I imagine Adam opened up his eyes and for the first time beholds the world that God had created for him. He gets his body from the earth, but his life comes from God. Your value comes from the life that God gives you. Apart from his breath of life, you wouldn't be here. And God not only breathed life into you once at creation, but he gave you his life again at Calvary. When God your creator became God your savior, when in the person of Jesus Christ he died on the cross to offer you forgiveness of sin that you might come into a relationship with him. And that plan was in place before the beginning of time, before sin ever entered the picture. So God created man and gave him a purpose to tend to the garden that he had planted and put him, put him into. He was created for a distinct purpose, and so were you. If our purpose is lived out, life is much more fulfilling. If our purpose is rejected or ignored, life will never be what God intended it to be. Apart from God's purpose and power, you and I are kind of like, if you can picture a, a lamp with the light bulb sitting next to it. It does no good sitting there. We need to fit into the Creator's original design, plugging into the power source, which is our relationship with God. He created you on purpose and for purpose. And I'll just tell you a little secret. Every one of us has one of the same purposes, and that is to know Him. And then the second is to make Him known. Verse 10. I thought this was interesting. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided into four parts and flowed out watering the surrounding areas. Now, in the Bible, water is often used to symbolize blessing. So man's first home was a blessed place, and that blessing flowed from it four times more to the surrounding area. In what way has your home been blessed by God? Has the river of God's blessings flowed in and then just barely trickled out to others? Or does that river of blessings seem to multiply as you allow it to flow freely out? I know what I found in my life that the more I open myself and my home up to bless others with whatever he's poured into me, the more he pours in as I keep the outflow going. So God wants to bless us with everything that we need. He created a beautiful garden for Adam, and then he told him in verses 16 and 17, feel free to eat from any tree in the garden of Eden, any tree that is, except one, because if you eat of this one, you will surely die. He told him the boundary and then the consequence of crossing it. Healthy, protective love gives boundaries, just like we do with our children. And from the beginning, God allowed his children the ability to choose whether to obey or disobey. He's given each of us the freedom to choose to reject him, his word, his plan and purpose for our lives, or to go with it. So let's compare what God gave them with what he declared off limits. They could eat of what was probably thousands of trees with wonderful fruit, but would need to avoid just one tree. We have a generous God. 
And sometimes we focus only on our, the restrictions. But the Bible says that his commands are not burdensome, but they're for our own good. Just like the boundaries and the rules that we make for our children. So then God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he said he would make a helper for him. So the first thing God does is he brings every living creature to Adam to name. And so I just think about this task and how it would have required such wisdom and intellect and a commitment to the responsibility to finish the task. What task has God given to you? Is it to establish a home, to work a job, to support a missionary, to travel to the mission field? Maybe it's to teach in a classroom or volunteer in the community or in a ministry. How is your attitude about your assignment? Do you grumble and complain about it? I've been guilty of that. Do you neglect and ignore it? I've done that too. Do you resent the responsibility? Or do you enjoy fulfilling it and do your very best to honor God in all of your responsibilities? God wants us to enjoy our service to him no matter what it is because he created us on purpose and for a purpose. So Adam names all of these animals, which that would have been amazing to get to do that. And God sees that none of them are a suitable helper for him. A dog might be man's best friend, but it is not a replacement for another human being. So God puts Adam into a deep sleep and performs the very first surgery by removing Adam's rib and creating a new life. What kind of surgery might God need to do in your life right now? What is on the inside of you that might need to be removed in order to give new life to you or to somebody else? Maybe it's unforgiveness. I talked about that last time. Maybe it's bitterness or resentment, apathy, hatred, anger, lust, pride. All of these things and so many more keep us from fully living the life that God created us to live. So, I encourage you, allow God to do some spiritual surgery on your heart because you can be set free. And you don't have to wait for a freedom class to do that. You can be set free today. So Adam declares that this was at last flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, and he called her woman. So God blessed the relationship between Adam and Eve and declared that they would come together as one flesh and be fruitful and multiply. They did pretty good at that. So then in chapter 3 is where we see sin. I don't care if you call me crazy. <laughs> that could be my song. Okay. In chapter 3, we see Satan enter the picture in the form of a serpent. Newly created Eve with the body of a woman, probably had the innocence and the naivety of a child. She would have been totally relaxed, walking in the garden, at ease and off guard. He'd probably planned his approach very carefully, just like he does with us. And so the first thing he did was to get Eve to question God's word. 
he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, I don't know about you, but I am always struck by Eve's lack of surprise when the serpent spoke to her. If I am walking under some trees or wherever and a serpent comes down and starts talking to me, it's going to be one or two things. It's either going to be I'm going to grab it by the tail and slam its head down on the ground because that's how they taught us to kill snakes in Africa. <laughs> right, kids? <laughs> right? Or I'm going to be in the next block before he finishes his <laughs> sentence. But her lack of surprise, you know, indicates that she was either so naive that she didn't realize that animals don't speak, or in the beginning they did communicate in some way, or this one did. We don't know. But regardless, Eve corrected his error immediately. But she is now focused on what she did not have instead of what she did have. Thousands of trees available. Only one not available. Sometimes all the enemy needs to do is to get us to change our focus from all that we do have to something that we don't. The next thing Satan did was question God's motives. He said in verses 4 and 5, You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He suggested that God lied to them out of jealousy that they would become like him. And this is ironic because Adam and Eve were already like God. They carried the image of God within them. In thirsting for all knowledge apart from God, now they would gain some knowledge, but it would be knowledge that leads to death. Satan weaves just enough truth into his lies that if we are not focused on God and his word, we can be easily misled. So he tells her, you will not surely die. Now this is a deliberate contra contradiction to what God had said. At this point, it was God's word against Satan's word. She knew God's word. She quoted it back to him. But she chose in this moment to believe Satan's word instead. How often do we do the same thing? I've done it more times than I care to admit. Now, Eve's first mistake here was to engage in conversation with the serpent. This is the first step to giving in. Sometimes we set ourselves up for failure. We entertain the, t the thought, like Eve, we stare at the forbidden fruit. We think about how good it'll be. We justify how it's going to make us wiser or how it won't hurt anyone else. And we reach out and touch it. And finally, we give in to it. 1 John 12, 2 16 describes sin and temptation as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. First you look at it, then you long for it, then you justify how good it will be for you. Eve moved through all three of these. She knew full well that God's will for them was not to eat from this tree, but suddenly she finds herself dissatisfied with God's will, and her focus is now on the forbidden fruit. So what's the forbidden fruit in your life? Maybe it's someone beside your spouse. Maybe it's a dishonest but profitable venture, business venture that you would have to sacrifice your integrity to achieve. Maybe it's an opportunity for revenge. 
As the saying goes, the sin's not in the bait, it's in the bite. The temptation that confronted Eve intensified because she tolerated it by focusing on it and actually engaging with the serpent about it. Now, I can't help but wonder why Adam didn't stop her. It says in verse 6 that he was there with her. So I wonder if while Eve was mesmerized by the serpent, if Adam was mesmerized by Eve. The major problem for both of them that neither one, was neither one of them were focused on God and his word. Satan had told Eve that her eyes would be opened and she would be like God, knowing good and evil. And in one sense, what he said was true. Her eyes were opened, but not in a good way. She knew what was good, and she knew now she was separated from it. So Adam and Eve were deeply ashamed, which is often the first consequence of sin. Many more consequences awaited them and have trickled down to us. You women, if you've had a baby, you know some of those consequences. The pain of childbirth was one of them. So they stood before each other feeling dirty and exposed, feeling such shame that they tried to hide from God. The fig leaves that they chose to weave together were inadequate. God could see right through them, just as he sees through our attempts to hide from him. What fig leaves have you sewn together as a cover-up for your sin? Maybe good works? Maybe church or community involvement? Could be lots of things, but there are no fig leaves thick enough to hide our sin from God. And verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid themselves from his presence. And he said, Where are you? Those words must have echoed across that garden. And they've continued to echo across the centuries, all through the pages of the Old Testament, through a little town in Bethlehem, across the hills of Calvary and inside an empty tomb. And those words fall on our ears today. Where are you? Adam and Eve weren't lost. God didn't misplace them. That's not what he was suggesting. God was saying, Adam, you are not where I left you. You are out of position. And when you're in the wrong position, you're exposed to the wrong things. But when you position yourself where God wants you to be, you are able to have the right conversations and the right interactions with the right people. You're able to do the right thing at the right time to positively impact not only your own life, but the lives of people around you as well. However, when you are out of position and you're not where God wants you to be, you expose yourself to people in situations that you were never meant to be exposed to. So are you out of position today? Have you moved out of the place where God put you? Have you stopped praying, stopped reading your Bible, stopped coming to church regularly? Maybe you're avoiding the people and the conversations that would hold you accountable. God created you on purpose and for purpose, but you cannot fulfill your purpose if you are out of position. Whatever step that you need to take today in order to get in or stay in the position he created you to be in, do it today. Blessings abounded in the garden, 
And they flow best when you are in the place where God has called you to be. So God asked, where are you? And Adam answered and said, we were naked and afraid, and so we hid. And God's reply in verse 11 was, who told you that? And he's asking us the same question today. Who told you that? Who told you that you weren't smart enough? Who told you that you would never amount to anything? Who told you that you were a failure, that you weren't the right gender, that you weren't the right color, that you were inadequate, that you were not enough? Whose voice have you been listening to? The enemy will fill your head with lies. And that's why it is important to know God's word. So that when Satan whispers in your ear, all you do goes unnoticed and unappreciated. God says, who told you that? I say, I reward you for your faithfulness. When Satan says, you're all alone. Nobody loves you. God says, who told you that? I say, I will never leave you or forsake you, and I have loved you with an everlasting love. When Satan whispers, you can't do that. You're too afraid. He's whispered that in my ear many times. Every time I get up here to speak, before I come up, I hear those words. You can't do that. Thank you. (laughs) But God says, who told you that? I say that I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. God's word is powerful, but we need to know what he says so that we can combat the eyes of the, the lies of the enemy that are sent to still kill and destroy. So our sin separates us from God. But he sent Jesus, who built a bridge in the shape of a cross, to bring us back into fellowship with our creator. Have you crossed that bridge by accepting Jesus as your Savior? The enemy of your soul does not want you to know or follow God's word or his will. He doesn't want you to know your potential or your purpose. He knows that God created you on purpose and for purpose, and he'll do anything possible to move you out of position. But greater is he who is in you. The fall of man was also the beginning of redemption. God took off their old garments and they had patched together and gave them new garments as the result of a sacrifice. Animal skins. Later, God sent Jesus the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. And when we accept that sacrifice, he takes off our rags and gives us his robe of righteousness. At creation, God gave man breath. And then he took man's breath away with the beauty and the grandeur of this stunning world that he had created for him. Why did God create the world? Because he wanted to, I guess. Why did he create you? Because he knew that the world needed one of you, and it does. So first of all, there was eternal love. Then there was a mighty creation Then there was a great fall. Then there was a willing Savior. It's really a pretty short distance between Genesis 1 and John 3.16. The God who created you also loves you and created you on purpose and for purpose. The light, that light that shone in the beginning, the light of God's 
glory and of his word has not lost its power since the beginning of time. And that same power that transformed planet earth from that which was void and dark and without form to that which was teeming with life, clothed in beauty and reflected God's image is available today to change and fill empty lives. There is no life so shattered or broken that it is beyond God's power to redeem and transform it. And the process of that transformation that takes place through the preparation of the Holy Spirit and the application of the word is illustrated by what took place at the beginning of planet Earth. And both then and now, it all begins to change whenever he says, let there be light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your light. And Lord, we ask that you would continue in this moment to let there be light. Father, let there be light in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit. Let there be light in our family, in our community, in the world. Father, we stand in awe of you. And we thank you, this amazing God that created us in the world that we live in that you would desire a personal relationship with each one of us. We thank you for that life-giving relationship that we can find only in you. And for those of you who are here or listening online, if you know that you've not made that step yet to come into a relationship with God and you feel that pull on your heart right now, or maybe you have made that step in the past, but you've moved out of position. And you know that you're not in the place that God wants you to be. But you want to get back in alignment. And you're ready to surrender control to him today. Then I would ask you to just silently play, pray this prayer along with me in your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sin and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are truth. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and by faith I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. I want to come back in line with your plan and your purpose. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, or maybe you're wanting to just get back in fellowship with God. We have a little booklet out at the, the connection desk called Now What? And it just gives you some steps that you can take to help you in your growth and in your journey with God. 
So we ask you to, to um, fill out a blue card and let us know of your decision that you made today. And you can turn those in either in the offering basket in a moment or you can give them to the, the people that are at the connection. Make me a vessel. Boy, that is my cry. You made it through creation. Congratulations. Uh, couple of announcements. Next week, we get to hear from another guest. Pastor Robert is going to be back. He comes back on Wednesday, but because of the short time period between Wednesday and he's going to be having some jet lag issues, uh, he has asked Doug Gaiman to speak to us next week. Now, Doug is the president of Globe International, where most of our missionaries are sent from. He is also a member of our board here at Coast. He had has a new book that has just been launched, I think, in this past week. That's not what he going to be talking about. His topic is going to be marriage for a lifetime. So whether you're married or whether you're not, this is going to be a message that is going to bless you and minister to you. And, you know, maybe if you're not married and you want to be someday, this will help you uh, help it to stick. And then small groups. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Um, small groups. Sign up for a small group. We want to get to know each other and be in relationship together. We, we need each other. We're not, not any of us meant to do life on our own. So join a small group. Put your name on a list or more than one if you want to, and we'll see you next week. So let me just pray a prayer of blessing over you. This is my favorite thing. Okay. <laughs> It's straight from God's word. This is, the, this is the prayer that, unbeknownst to my children, I would pray over them as they slept. Lord, we agree with your word that says of each one of us that we are the head and not the tail, that we're blessed coming in and blessed going out. We agree with your word that says that we can have the mind of Christ, that we can know the will of God, that we can have a peace that passes all understanding and joy that is unspeakable, the kind of joy that's going to give us the strength to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Lord, we agree with your word that says of each of us that no weapon formed against us will prosper and that every snare laid out before us by the enemy is broken by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and by faith we have already escaped it. We agree with your word that says that no matter what happens in our life, that we don't have to walk around beaten down and discouraged with a victim's mentality because your word declares that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world and that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And we agree with your word that says of each one of us that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we agree with your word that we heard today that said over planet earth, and we believe you're speaking it over us right now, let there be light and let your light shine as we go from here in Jesus name. Amen. Y'all have a great week.